Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. All right. Hello and welcome to Revolution. It's always glad to have you here. And glad to have all you folks online listening. Good to be in your ears wherever you are. Um, yeah, so welcome to Revolution. Did I say that already? I think I did. Um, been a crazy week, so crazy that I can't recall what I did this week. My, uh, I did take my kids swimming yesterday and then swimming the day before. So I've been swimming with my children, and that's a lot of fun, Um, a lot of fun-filled activities with the kids. Um, And today's Father's Day, and usually I don't talk about, usually I stay away from the holidays, especially the, the Hallmark holidays, but today for some reason I made an exception, which is rare for me. So I'm going to talk a little bit about, well... Father, the fa- what, what, and I don't, and I also always like to stay away from pronouns, in the, especially in the Bible, they kind of bug me a little bit, because it's very, you know, it's like reading theology books in the 60s, I mean, it's just him, 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 he, I don't know all the different pronouns for he, but all of them, you know, it's just like they don't know women exist, and I really drives me crazy. Um, so I usually, when I, I when I actually wrote a book, and in my book, one of the books I wrote, I took out all the pronouns for God, and they thought I had made a mistake because of my dyslexia. And so they added all the pronouns back in, and then... I remember I got a call from somebody being like, how could you use all these? You know, and I was like, well, what? What do you mean? And then I was like, oh, no. And so then when he did the paperback, I had to go back and re-edit the book to take out the pronouns for God. So that was my pronoun adventure. And uh, But today I am going to talk about the Father and kind of what Jesus means by that and why it's interesting and why it's worth looking at, at least to me. Um, I'm in Matthew 6, 7. And Jesus says, When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered by only repeating the words again and again. Don't be like them, because your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Pray like this. And then it comes the Lord's Prayer. Um, I'm reading from the New Living, so it kind of changes the Lord's Prayer a little bit. Um, But it says, Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. Give us our food for today, which is usually our daily bread. And forgive us of our sins, just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. 
And do not let us yield to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And it goes on to say, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will, forgive, will not forgive your sins. That's a whole other sermon, actually, right there. But why is this important? Because Jesus was changing how people saw God. You didn't even say God's name. When you spelt out God, you didn't spell it out completely out of reverence. And Jesus says, further, he says, he takes it further and says, well, I, I want you to see God as Father. But now we read it as Father. But this would have read as Abba, which would be like Daddy or Papa. And so it would be our Papa in heaven. May your name be honored. My son calls me Papa. He also calls me Dad or Pa, which is really weird now because I feel like an old country guy. He's like, Pa, Pa. I'm like, yeah? John Boy? Milo, Milo, son? Um, but it's cute, so I like it. Um, he might come today. I don't know. Mom might show up here with the kids. Um, but the idea of, of this was radical. It was a radical change for the time. It was radical to say, I want you to see God as a loving parent. I don't want you to see God as this fear, fearful deity that you have to hide behind or you have to put up images or you have to do things like that i want you to experience now a lot of us a lot of people have really had shit fathers though you know so that's not like that's not the point here this isn't to be like oh make sure you just see jesus or god as like like your earthly father but it's your heavenly father and a dad who cares about you a dad who loves you a dad who the Bible talks about parenting, and it says, when your child asks for a piece of bread, do you hand it a snake? Of course not. You know, it talks about the love of, uh, it talks about the love of us, much less the love of parent. In Corinthians thirteen, love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Um, greatest of these are love, faith, hope, and love. I mean, and the greatest of those is love. So the love of a father, the love of a parent, is how Jesus wanted us to, to take this transition and say, God is no longer this thing that you just reverence. It's a personal thing. That was a big step. A lot of us take that for, for granted. I know for like when I was going to, when I was a part of this church group, in uh, Arizona, <laughs> I remember it was Assemblies of God kids. I grew up Assemblies of God, which was kind of a conservative evangelical group. And um, they would always pray. It would be like, Father God, we just love you so much and thank you. If we need your help, Father God. <laughs> they would keep saying Father God over and over again to the point where I would start counting how many times they would say Father God because it would just drive me completely bonkers. Um, you know, and that's the point of missing it. 
But this is the point of how do we how do we see God like a father? Well, I was thinking about this and like, well, you know, where does this really go? If if we look at that, and then I thought of Jesus's uh, one of Jesus's stories, and I thought about the story of the lost son or the prodigal son, and wanted to take a look at that. So that's in Luke 15. To illustrate this point further, Jesus told them a story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and took a trip to a distant land, and there he wasted his money on wild living. And one of the reasons this would have been seen, too, as absurd is because this would have been a huge insult to the parent to say, I want my inheritance now, because he's saying, I want you dead. And probably would have opened up this family to public ridicule and probably would have opened this up to this son to public punishment, um, to public beating. That was the tradition at the time. So already you have a father saying, okay, you want what you want? Okay, I'll go ahead and divide it up. It's yours. Take it, go. So you already have this this father that's saying more than understanding, more than giving, saying, okay, take what's yours. I understand, you know, not stern, not angry, not mad, not demanding violence. A few days later, the younger son packs all his belongings, goes on to distant land, spends it all in wild living. About the same time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded local farmers to hire him to feed him. And his uh, persuaded local farmers to f- hire him to feed his pigs. The boy became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Um, side note, this would have been extremely degrading because to be with pigs at this time would have made you unclean and ceremonially unclean. So this was the bottom of the the barrel of the jobs. Um, it says when he finally came to his senses, well, obviously he came to his senses because he had spent and lost everything. He said to himself, at home, even the hired men have food enough to spare. And I'm here dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired man. So his idea was, I'm going to make a deal with my dad. And, 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 and see what I can do. And, uh, you know, I remember when I was in my late teens, early 20s, and I drank a lot before I entered an anonymous 12-step program. Um, I would sit <laughs> at the toilet, quite sick, saying, God, please, I'll never drink again if you just let this make me let this through the night. <laughs> And that was the good assemblies of God, boy, and me making deals with God constantly. And I always think of that making deals with God uh, on the toilet, uh, hugging the porcelain bowl as this deal for some reason. That strikes me. So, but what happens is, is he returns home to his father, 
And while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But the next line is very important. It says, but his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robes in the house and put them on him. You see, he didn't have to make a deal with his dad. He didn't have to repent in any special way or do something different or become humbled or anything like this. The father was waiting. The father was so much waiting that he ran to his son. And when the listeners of Jesus' story would hear this, they would have probably laughed and almost thought it were ridiculous because of his father's compassion and his father's love. But that's why Jesus is telling this story, is he's wanting us to realize that there's something about God that's compassionate and loving. Now, sometimes I don't even believe in God, okay? I have a hard time. Sometimes I consider myself agnostic. I mean, it's hard to imagine something bigger and greater than myself. Um, it's a struggle. Um, but Jesus, and that's who I've decided to follow, uh, talks about God in such a loving, compassionate way that it's strange to me because it's the Old Testament God seems so different. You know, seems like this angry God, hateful God. And then Jesus comes along and says, well, actually you've heard it said it this way, but I say it this way. And it's almost as Jesus came to say, you've gotten it wrong. You've missed the boat. God isn't this angry God who's keeping notes or striking lightning bolts down at you or smoting people, you know. Smiting or smoting? Smiting? Okay, I'll go with smiting. Smite. I smite go with that. <laughs> Sorry. I am a dad. Um, plenty of dad jokes to go around. I smite just like that one. Um, so the, the father's waiting, or as Jesus would say, the kingdom of God is waiting for you. This was Jesus trying to say, tell the, Jesus was telling this story to tax collectors. 15 says this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such despicable people, even eating with them, because Jesus sitting down and dining with these folks, made, he made covenant with people who were despised, so notorious sinners, whatever that means. I actually would like to be counted in that group. Um, I have a tattoo on my leg from this band, Social Distortion, that says sick boy, but I had Luke 2.17 added because he says, I've come to call sinners, not those who think they're good enough. And I want to be counted in the sinners group because that's the group I like to be called by. And um, not those who think they're good enough. The idea of thinking you're righteous or thinking you've earned or thinking you've done something to be perfect. So, so Jesus used this illustration, and so Jesus is using this illustration as a rebuke to religious teachers who have an idea of what God is. Okay? He's using this to explain why he's spending so much time with people that they despise. Um. So this is Jesus, this is the context that the story is being told in. 
is a story of Jesus kind of, in one way, hopefully dropping a knowledge bomb on religious teachers and also to those folks who, who, who are the tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen. Tax collectors would have been traitors to their society because they were working with the Roman government. And the Roman government was the occupiers of the territory. So you're taking money for your, you know, the occupiers. So Jesus hung out with a group of very undesirable people, um, which a lot of us don't think of that. But his father said to the servant, back to that, Quick, bring the finest robes that in the house that we have and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. You think of this and you think there's hope for the church. There's hope for us if we're willing to throw parties for people when they return. The thing that I love about my anonymous 12-step program for alcoholics that will remain anonymous um, is that if you fall off the wagon, you come back and there's a coin. There's a white coin. That means you surrender. And you come up and take it, and when you take it, you know what happens? People stand up and clap. There's no reprimanding. There's no, you should have done this, or how could you do this, or how would you make this mistake, or what have you done? But it's a celebration. Because people are like, you know, but by the grace of God, it, it, it could have been me. People know who they are. They're alcoholics. And we celebrate when people return, you know, or if people have failed and they return to try to take We celebrate. And and that's what the church should do is be celebrating when people say, "I want to come home, I want to come back, I want to be part of this." I, this is, you know, rather than being reprimanded or torn apart or said you should have done this. Because think about it: if you come back and you spend all your money on this wild living, doing all this stuff, you know, and you come back to your church and you go, oh, well, I just ran out of money. It's like, oh, well, you're repenting because you're broke? You know? Oh, I see. Now you want us. Now you need us. And Father doesn't care. Father doesn't want an explanation, doesn't need an explanation. Just says, come back. We're going to throw a party. Welcome back. I love you. I missed you. That is hope for me, for the church. That's what I want to see practice in the church more often, especially the type of churches that I grew up in, um, where when you would see failure, people would almost celebrate failure more than they would restoration. You know, they would just, oh, you made a mistake? Let's tear this person down. Let's kick this person out of the church. Let's get rid of them. And that never made any sense to me. You know, why would you do this? Why would you kick somebody out? Aren't we all fall short, all... You know, isn't this supposed to be a place of refuge, a place of hope, a place of grace, a place of mercy, not a place of, not a, uh, a, what is it, a club? We're not supposed to be an exclusive club or a clubhouse or, you know, for people. 
can't find the words right now. Meanwhile, here we go. The older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the calf we were fattening and has prepared a great feast. And we are celebrating because of his safe return. Well, much like the Pharisees, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've worked hard for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And all this time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back, squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the finest calf we have? So this is sometimes people's way of seeing inclusion in the church is they're angry by it when certain groups get included. You know, I see that a lot with the LGBTQ community. A lot of churches don't like it when everyone's included and they don't think it's right. And, uh, and you hear this type of thing. How could you? How dare you? What about this? What about this verse? What about that verse? What about, you know, and it becomes ugly and it becomes something that doesn't seem very graceful or very merciful at all. It becomes something that seems very hateful. And we talked about this last week, that the kind of fruits of that have been homelessness, suicide, mental health issues, you know, with the churches being so exclusive. And uh, that's how we know that, you know, Christ said they'll know you by your fruit. Peace, patience, joy, long-suffering, you know, these types of things, not death, homelessness, pain. And so this inclusion is happening, and the older brother who represents the Pharisees, the teachers of religious law, is upset about this inclusion. Because he says, all these years I've worked hard for you. I've done what you've told me to. And now all of a sudden this son of yours who's not doing what he's supposed to do. And that's why the Bible says you're saved by grace, not by works, so no one can boast. There's nothing you can do for salvation. It's a free gift. It's, 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 it's free. There's no works. You're not saved by works. Um, not that works are bad, you know, because the Bible talks about loving God with all your heart and equally as important as loving your neighbor as yourself. So we want to love our neighbors. We want to do these things. But the fact is, is when those things get in the way of us, when loving our neighbor gets in the way of us loving our neighbor, when loving our neighbor gets in the way of us loving our enemies, we've missed the boat. And that's what's happening here is the brother's missing it. He can't see past his own sacrifice. He can't see past his own suffering. He can't see past his own works. He's angry about grace. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you and I are very close, and everything I have is yours. Which, if you really think about it at the time, if he split their inheritance... Everything that was left was the son, the, the, the sons. We had to celebrate for this happy day. Your brother was dead and has come back, 
to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Um, there's two other stories that, that are told, and we have a few minutes, so why not share those so we can see the common thread. Um, Jesus uses this illustration. We'll jump back to 15.3. If you had 100 sheep and one of them strayed away and was lost in the wilderness, wouldn't you leave the 99 others and go search for the lost one until you found it? And then when you joyfully carry it home on your shoulders, when you arrived, you would call together your friends and neighbors and rejoice with you because the lost sheep was found. In the same way, heaven will be happier over one lost sinner who returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. I don't know about you, but if I had 99 sheep, if I had 100 sheep and one strayed away, I'd be like, eh. That's only one sheep. I've still got 99 here. I mean, I don't know if he had a dog he really trusted or something like that. (laughs) But to leave 99 sheep to go find one sheep doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, which I'm guessing is the point here, is that, but wouldn't you? Wouldn't you celebrate the son who spent all the money and did all this stuff and left in rebellion? Wouldn't you celebrate his return? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you celebrate and go find this one lost sheep and then call your neighbors and your friends and throw a party? You know, and I've heard that story told so many different ways. I've heard preachers say, yeah, well, he carried it on his shoulders because he had to break its legs. Because if a sheep leaves and strays away, you break its legs, and that's what God does to us. He breaks our legs when we stray away. I mean, seriously, that's the type of stuff I've heard used in, as gospel truth. I mean, it's like... Are you kidding me? Like, is that what we're doing? We're looking for these kind of explanations of, like, how to, like, put an asterisk on grace? You know, how to put a grasterisk on forgiveness? Um, also goes, or suppose a woman has ten valuable silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and look every corner in a house and sweep every nook and cranny until she finds it? And then when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and rejoice with her because she found her lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Now, the word repent is another word that I feel like has been greatly misused because of street preachers holding up signs that say, repent, repent, you know, or just you need to repent because God's coming and you're all going to hell, you know, and what it really means is like, you know, a change, a turning from, a change of mind, a new idea. What happened to this, this, the, the son? He, he was, my God, I'm broke. Oh, my God, I don't have any money, even the hired hands. I'm going to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn towards my father and see if there's any grace there, see if there's any mercy there. And... Uh, what we see is we see, yes, there's more than enough grace and mercy there. Uh, it's quite amazing. Um, what we see in these two stories, though, is, and I guess she breaks the coin in half. 
so it can't be used. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they justify the... I wonder if... And then they break the son's legs after the party. You know? <laughs> I don't know how in the hell they would justify... Change that into a bad news story, but... And the son walks with a limp. Um, that's like some horror movie stuff. But in, in these stories, there's no giving up. The, 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 the shepherd in the lost coin, there is a going after, seeking out, finding. Even in the story of the, the prodigal son, the father's running out. And he's running out not only to the, to the lost son, but when the good son comes in, he's running to him saying, please come in, please come in. You, 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 everything I have is yours. You're always with me. So he's telling these Pharisees who are listening to the story, hey, you guys, I'm with you. You're with me. I love you. You're here. I want you to be a part of this meal. Come sit down and eat with us. You know, celebrate with us. Celebrate these folks who are here. Let's, let's be together. Let's be one. And that's the good news. You know, that's, that's the gospel. And um, that's what I wanted to talk about when I'm talking about this, why I wanted to say this father here, you know, I've always, you know, people go, well, who am I in this story? Am I the good son? Because sometimes I'm the good son. Or am I the bad son? When ultimately the goal is, is to be like this father, the one that's saying, come in. Let's celebrate. Let's dine together. Let's party together. Let's share a meal together. Let's do this. That's Christ's example of what an, a father should be, what an Abba, what a daddy, what a papa should be. And so today, as I was, you know, this week, as I was thinking about what to talk about and how in the heck would I even make a Father's Day talk, this is what came to me, you know, and this isn't just about fathers, it's about parents, it's about mothers, it's about, you know, mothers, fathers, two dads, two moms, whatever, one mom, one dad, you know, but it's calling us to be like that for to others, to be the, the grace giver, to be the restorer you know, of hope and love and give deliverance of peace and mercy and say, it's okay. You're home. That's what we're called to. So, thanks for coming and thanks for listening. Um, I'm going to say a real quick prayer and, uh, yeah. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. Uh, yeah. Thank you for showing us what a father can be and what we can be to others and how we can love others and be by that, live by that example. Help us to see others like that and help us to realize that we are accepted by you. My, which is greater than ourselves 
because that to me is the hardest road to cross is knowing that I'm accepted and loved completely. Uh, thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, real quick, we're a nonprofit, and if you're listening online or you're here, we'd rather have you than your money. So that's there. Um, but we do take an offering. If you're online and you want to give, you can go to revolutionchurch.com and hit on donations. Um, if you're here, we'll throw a hat around. But, um, yeah, that's the, that's the necessary evil of the service. So that part is done and over. <laughs> but thank you for those who support because you're the reason we're here. Um, so thanks for listening, everyone. And as always, this is Revolution Church.